Hi, thanks so much for stopping by and welcome. We just got back from having our uh, four-day retreat up in Garrison Institute, which was beautiful with beautiful people. And it was um, a wonderful honor to be able to uh, present the Dharma for four days. Uh, I would like to note that if any of you are in New York City and feel like joining us in person next Tuesday at 7 p.m. at Grand Street Healing, about two blocks from the East River, where there are the most spectacular views of the Manhattan skyline and amazing uh, places to sit by the water and eat delicious food. If you are available on Tuesday, September 12th, do stop by and join us. If you would like to support my work, the donation is Venmo at Dharma Punks NYC and PayPal is on the Dharma Punks website and the Patreon as well. And so tonight, I'm going to try to explain about what in Buddhism is called the transcendent, how we can go about experiencing it in a meditation. Now, I must note that discussing the transcendent, because it's a state that or where language and normal representation is no longer a uh, organizing factor, so much like uh, extremely awe-inducing events in life or dreams, or for some people, plant medicine, psychedelics, uh, all of the experiences where the dominant left hemisphere, which translates everything into language and concepts, uh, begins to fall away. Those experiences, while very true and valid, are also the least easy to talk about. So uh, it's my job as a Buddhist teacher to try to convey or explain what in many ways is almost impossible to explain. So my favorite way place to start in such a talk is on um, one of the more wonderful and famous Buddhist suttas from the original teachings of the Dharma in the Pali Canon. There's this wonderful story of a very, very wise man named Bahia, Bahia of the Bark Cloth, who was respected, revered, honored, venerated. And he was pretty confident and at one point announced allowed that he had achieved enlightenment. And after that occurred, a angelic spirit had said, visited him and said, you, sir, are not enlightened, nor have you even entered the path to be enlightened. You don't have a practice that would allow you to enter the path to enlightenment. So Bahia was told by the Deva, if you want to become awakened or enlightened, you have to find the Buddha and ask him. And so Bahia traveled 
long distance and then finally encountered the Buddha. And three times he asked the Buddha to explain um, what would lead to his enlightening, enlightenment, his awakening. And the Buddha each time said, no, I have to go out on alms, well, uh, alms walks, you know, collecting dana for the sangha. I don't have the time. But finally, after the third request, as is common, the Buddha relented and told Bahia that when you can experience the world in such a way that there's no you, and what you're seeing. There's no sense of you and what you've heard. There's no sense of you and what you've experienced. There's no sense of you and what you've thought. Then you will not be anywhere. <laughs> and when you're not anywhere in any place, then you will neither be, in quotes, neither here nor there, nor anywhere in between. So this, the Buddha says, is the end of stress and suffering and the awakened state. Um, once again, the Buddha is saying, you have to be able to experience the world in such a way that this sense of location, of you being in a specific location, evaporates. And when there's no you here or there or anywhere in between here and there, when in, sen in a sense you're everywhere, uh, then you will experience the end of stress and suffering. So in another sutta, the crossing of the flood sutta, the Buddha was asked, uh, how did you cross the flood from land to the island where all was peaceful and calm? And the Buddha responded, I didn't stand still, but I didn't put any effort to move forward. And so I crossed the flood. And then this, in, the person who interviewed him, or the spirit interviewed him, said, but how by not standing still, nor putting any effort to move forward, did you cross the flood, the raging river? And the Buddha responded, when I stopped, I sank. But when I struggled to move forward, I got swept away. And so by doing neither, I crossed the flood. So this idea of getting from here to there without moving and the sense of neither being here nor being there nor being anywhere in between is a major theme in all of the Buddhist teachings on what enlightenment looks like. Achieving a mind without a sense of location, without a sense of being in a specific place. So um, in other liberation teachings, Nibbana is also said as there's no yearning, there's no coming or going, um, and there's no here nor there nor anywhere in between. So how do we explain this? And perhaps the only way I can start is by making what one measure will seem like a kind of trite, meaningless uh, explanation. Uh, it's a little bit as trite as stopping to smell the roses because you don't know if you ever get to smell them again. It's one of those 
things that a person can say. And on one level, it seems kind of obvious, but on another level, it's actually kind of or very enormous in its ramifications and that is everything that you know and everything that i know now and at any previous moment in our life has always been known courtesy of our minds i have never known anything without my mind being a interlocutor or a medium that created the world around me everything that you have ever experienced be it people places or things has occurred due to your mind paying attention to it and bringing it to your attention there is nothing you've ever known outside of your mind now when i say this i'm not saying that there is no physical world out there with different places and different people. But it's important at the start of this talk to just bear in mind that everything we've ever known has been courtesy of our own mental apparatuses. There's always been what we could say a brain translating what is out there and creating a representation of it in here. Nothing happens outside of our minds. Now, this is far more important than it might seem because what we now know from contemporary neuropsychology, in fact, that the brain in no way creates a accurate representation of the world around us, far from it. In fact, Donald Hoffman, a famous neuroscientist and uh, evolutionary psychologist, noted that if brains created an accurate representation of the world, we wouldn't survive. Brains help us survive by creating vastly distorted representations of the world. And I'll explain why in a moment, but let's start from the very beginning. Uh, according to the work of neuroscientists Ruben Laconen and Helen Slagter, uh, they remind us in their paper on the plasticity of the predictive mind that the brain lacks any direct access to the external world. Your brain is inside of a black box, which we call a skull. And the only thing it's receiving from the outside world is not sounds or sights or feeling or, or touch sensations or smells. The only thing it's receiving are electrical impulses, which are translated from what your ears and eyes have seen. So everything that we uh, experience in our bodies gets turned into electrical signals, gets passed on through neurons, gets through the um, brainstem to the thalamus, and from the thalamus, it gets sent to all these different, extremely powerful uh, lobes of the brain that frantically create a representation of what's, what's out there, but it really doesn't know what's out there. It's just received electrical signals. That's it. Nothing else. No sights, no sounds, just electrical impulses. 
So it has to guess. And it predicts what all of the sensory input that's arriving to it, it looks like, sounds like, feels like, and so forth. It does so by creating a vague representation and then as new sensory information contradicts its model, then it kind of adapts the models and keeps on trying to construct a representation based largely on past experiences. Now, obviously, having a mind that's based on past experience, that has a world that's based on past experiences that are essentially a prediction or a guess, is advantageous to our survival in that it already uh, anticipates what's going to be of value to us in any environment. But if our models of the world that we base our sense of reality on are too strict and we don't incorporate some of the new sort of flashes of what's of new sensations coming in through the neural fibers sending us those electronic impulses, then we'd never be able to adapt. So while the brain doesn't forego influences from the outside, but it's always creating its own model of the environment from within and just using some electrical signals representing the outside world to try to refine this essential internal guess of what's out there. Um, and we can see this in so many different ways. For example, um, there's far less visual information that's needed to create an, a world for us that we see that's actually passing from our thalamus to the occipital lobe, which creates the reality that we see. Far less information, only a fraction of the information we need to see what's around us is actually going to the occipital lobe. If we saw only what our eyes experienced, one, there would be huge dark spots everywhere because the eye, the uh, nerve receptors in the back of the eyes are only receiving certain parts of light. Blood vessels would be obscuring so many other areas of sight. We wouldn't have depth perception. Objects wouldn't move smoothly because our eyes don't see objects actually moving, moving smoothly. We just see them in one place and then the next. Your colors would blend together. There would be no distinction between the colors yellow and green. A banana would look exactly like grass if you simply saw what your eyes saw, because actually in the world outside, there's actually very little difference between yellow and green, perceptually almost nothing. But our brains, to help us survive, create a very distinct yellow to help us spot squash and bananas. The faces of people you met in the past would be invariably unrecognizable. It's simply because your occipital lobe, a vast, super powerful computer, takes these vague impulses and turns it into a representation of your friend that emphasizes all the parts you've recognized before is what allows you to know and and recognize people. So 
The vast bulk of what we see is created by our occipital lobes using models based on past models. What we see, as Donald Hoffman notes, is a simplistic comic book representation of the world outside, about as close to reality as a Peanuts uh, comic book is to a real dog and a real child. It's just a kind of simple rep simple representations. And the reason why that helps us survive is because the world that our sheer senses and electrical impulses would be sending to us would in no way be able to spot and emphasize our survival advantages. And Hoffman's lab showed conclusively that species that more accurately represent reality actually die off. And it's species that don't actually represent reality that survive because they emphasize threats and opportunities. So if you jumped on a plane tonight and flew somewhere you've never been before, the first thing you'd see of Copenhagen or Stockholm or uh, I don't know, think of a European city you've never been, but the first thing you'd see would be a blend of what you've previously seen in movies and photographs of European cities, plus some represent some sensory data from what's actually out there, which your brain would correct. But largely, you would first see what your brain wants you to see. And then over time, it would try to correct it and make it more accurate. So from one perspective, we do need to believe in our internal representations of the world. I need to believe that I'm here in Brooklyn, not presently lying on a hill in Marin County where I had one of my most uh, vivid experiences of liberation. Seeing a vast sky, feeling all my muscles relax, letting go of needing to be anywhere, that was a part of that experience on a retreat uh, at Spirit Rock some, I don't remember, 12, 13 years ago. And uh, so I need to create, to function in the world, to meet with people. I need to know that I'm here right now in Brooklyn and not on that hill in mundane in uh, Marin County. But in another realm, in another way, in a meditation practice, I can completely erase the space and distinctions between here, and I can actually return to that state. Now, the mundane realm in early Buddhism was called the Lukia. The Lukia is our daily mundane world where I have a location. My body right now is in Williamsburg. I have a predictable identity in the mundane world with specific skills. I'm what is essentially a friendly and relaxed Buddhist teacher who provides therapeutic counseling I have a life story in that I'm sober, I play music, I uh, love uh, going to eat uh, dim sum, what have you. Uh, and in this mundane realm, today is Tuesday, it's September 5th, it's uh, probably nearing 725 on the East Coast. And so, um, and in this mundane realm, I need to have, for example, money to pay bills and get food. My worth 
is quantifiable in a dollar amount. And in the mundane uh, world, there are exclusive experiences that only the wealthy can afford. Only the wealthy can afford to attend certain restaurants or certain uh, uh, beautiful uh, exclusive resorts and so on and so forth. So there very much is a mundane world where money matters, where people have static locations, where we have static identities, where we have static skills. And that's very much true. And if you... Uh, pretend it doesn't exist, you'll be declared certifiably uh, insane, frankly. You won't be able to have any functional role in the world. But there's another realm that's just as important to bear in mind, the uh, spiritual or supramundane realm, which in Buddhism is called the Lokatura. And the Lokatura is very unlike our daily life world. In it, time isn't measured in minutes or hours or days or even years, but rather in the um, the spiritual realm, the past is experienced in the present oh, well, as well as the future. There's nothing but a vast present. There is no There is no past or future. It's all happening now. Very, very similar to how the past, present, and future are blended in dreams or in psychedelic experiences, or even during intense experiences of awe when one encounters a spectacular um, uh, location in the world that explodes beyond any experience we've ever had. And our dominant left hemispheres are overwhelmed because our right hemispheres are now taking in all of the this overwhelming sensory data and our brains, our, our right hemispheres are struggling along with our occipital lobes and our temporal lobes and our parietal lobes to create any representation of what it is we're experiencing it's so rich and dense and in that experience there's no sense of any future or past we're just there in this monumental moment and in that transcendent realm when you're having a dream or you're uh you're at a gathering with friends or you're in this spiritual center on a retreat where money has no meaning anymore. It makes no sense. It's com You're com completely cut off from any idea of what money represents. It doesn't, the idea that money equals or as value is ludicrous. I don't know if you've ever uh, had those classic um, psychedelic trips, but in those trips, money is absolutely meaningless. You look at it and you laugh at the idea that uh, a $50 bill could represent, um, a, you know, a chair that someone built or a, a piece of clothes that someone built. It just seems so ludicrous. In the transcendent realm, when we're in a spiritual environment, uh, the idea that one human being is worth more than another human being is ridiculous. It's ludicrous. It's totally unfeasible. In the transcendent realm, I have no static identity. 
things have happened that I've experienced, but they don't define me in any way. I'm not a Buddhist pastor or a counselor or a, um, a, you know, a Jew from Brooklyn. I am just another human being, another iteration of another human being, another iteration of nature. I am inextricably linked to human beings, to nature, to the earth. I am not separate from it. I'm experiencing the world the way my right hemisphere, the subdominant hemisphere, experiences us as completely interconnected. In the right hemisphere of the brain, which works behind the scenes, there is no understanding of money or value. It has absolutely no meaning. When we think about money and value, our left hemispheres, especially left executive frontal lobe regions, light up, but they don't in the right. The right just experiences us as interconnected with each other and the world around us. So in the transcendent realm, nothing is um, the same as in the mundane world. And furthermore, in the transcendent realm, Ultimately, there's no uh, internal or external. There's no here nor there nor anywhere in between. If you've ever been in a dream and you've tried to get somewhere and you're trying very hard to get somewhere, but you don't move, that's an excellent example of the transcendent realm. In the spiritual realm, all of our predictive models of where we are and what we have seen and experiences and experience begins to break down. We're essentially becoming aware of the representations of the world within us and seeing it being constructed. It's reality, so to speak, is being undermined. Let's go back to the work by the neuroscientists Laconin and Slagter, and they say uh, something like, understanding the brain as a predictive organ coincides well with meditation because explicitly and implicitly it aims at deconstructing the mind from within to allow us to experience things completely afresh without being determined by our mental models. Meditation, where is the quote, gradually brings a practitioner more and more to the present moment, whereby progressively decreasing the reliance on predictive models in the brain or something like that. Um, uh, this not only reduces episodic future thinking, but also explains why meditators in, experience a loss of a sense of me versus you, a sense of here versus there, and achieve a non-dual awareness. So it is in meditation that we can visit this transcendent realm that we only get to visit in the most meaningful, overwhelming, awe-inducing experiences of our life or in our dreams or in psychedelic trips, where we can remember that everything we perceive is simply being uh, authored by a mind and is just a guess, just a representation, and is not an accurate instance of the world outside.
this is where I am versus this is where I not am has no meaning. Money gets no meaning. And the sense of time passing or me being in a specific hour where I give a talk, it has no meaning. What does also matter in the transcendent realm, I'll finally conclude with, is feelings. Feelings are always present in both our mundane world and in our transmundane world. If you remember when I talked about that experience of uh, what felt like a mini uh, uh, transcend uh, a, a transcendent moment on that hill in Marin County, where I felt. My, the distance between me and the sky evaporating, I felt myself connected to the earth. Any sense of being limited in a specific time uh, passed or dissembled. And suddenly I was in this vast, spacious, open uh, moment connected with everything, without no boundaries, without nothing between me and vast, limitless space in all directions. And that was a feeling. I can, in my meditation, recreate that feeling. I don't need to be in Marin County. I don't need to be uh, somewhere else at a different time. If I fully let go and relax into my chair and I visualize a vast open sky and I feel myself getting closer to that sky and feel myself not needing to be anywhere else and letting go of any conception of time, then I can actually experience it the same way that um, uh, there's a beach in a place in Mexico that I really love that's really magical. And But I don't need to actually be there to recreate the sense of being there. I can imagine the feeling of being, I can recreate the feeling of sinking into that blanket, hearing the sounds of the waves arise and pass. I can feel myself truly letting go into the moment. I can let go of the need to be anywhere or present myself in any way to anyone. And so too, I can be at the same experiences of joy and freedom that I've had in the past. I don't need to go anywhere to get there. So when the Buddha says, there is no you in what is seen, there is no you in what is heard, when you are not here, there or anywhere in between, this is the end of suffering, we can do that. And let's do it now. There is no other time. So find a really comfortable seated position where you can meditate. And what I'd like to encourage you to do is relax, lay back, find a comfortable seated position and turn, if you want, go off your video because you want to be able to practice without um, being seen. Just allow yourself to incline, relax into a chair. 
And so what we're going to do is we're going to do a meditation that the Buddha taught, and literally the instructions are there in the Pali Canon, written some 2,500 years ago. It's called the Kula Shunyata. And um, so... I'm going to lead it pretty much in line with how the Buddha taught it. The Buddha said this was the meditation he practiced for the last, I believe, 30-odd years of his life. It's a spacious mind meditation. It's also, in many ways, a subtractive meditation in that we begin to let go of all of our predictive models of what's around us. And we open instead to just experiencing awareness and the mind in and of itself beyond all the worldly things that it uh, creates for us. So let's start by... Bringing to mind, as the Buddha said, all of what he called the images and reflections of the world of people. He called it actually the village, but essentially bring to mind in your mind, not by looking around. We can just do it by in your mind. Just imagine All of the man-made things, the cars, the buildings, the furniture, the, the televisions, the gadgets that human beings have created for us. And just also human beings in and of themselves. And just know that we are a part of this mundane realm. That we are not distinct from it, different from it. That we are very much in one level a part of the world around us, made by human beings. So let's bring to mind those predictive images our brain generates whenever I say, think of all of the man-made that is surrounding you.
So at this point, what we're going to do is just begin to remove from our awareness these representations that your mind generated of what the man-made, human-made world is like. After all, it's just a representation. And what I'd like you to, or invite you to replace it with, is a representation of nature, all that is natural, So fields, bodies of water, trees, animals. Rain. All that is natural around you from leaves, to moss, to plants, and know that you are an expression of nature just as much as you are expression of being a human being, you are an expression of nature, just another animal completely interconnected with nature, unable to survive without nature, consuming nature. Coming and being born of and returning to nature. There is no you at all independent of nature. And so when you create this model of nature, let there be no you distinct from it. In this practice, see if you can feel yourself blending into the internal representation of nature.
So let go of the sensitive nature and now create a representation of just the earth, the granite, the mountains, the planet itself that we are an expression of and not in any way distinct from a planet revolving around the sun moving through space, a planet that we are an expression of and in no way distinct from. You have no self distinct from the earth. You are a part of the earth. The earth is where you come from and return to. Feel yourself inextricably connected to the earth, relaxing and joining the earth on its journey.
letting go of the earth and just experiencing yourself as being part of a continuum, a boundless space heading in all directions, north, south, east, west, above and below, a space that contains the earth and all of the stars and galaxies, a space from which all things are self-included came, a space that pervades through and amongst and amidst our bodies, feel yourself connected to limitless, boundless space in all directions.
and now letting go of even space as a representation created by the mind and just be with nothing other than mind, your mind itself. A mind which has created every experience you've ever known. Where things that appear distant are simply representations in your mind. Where the idea of you being bounded to a body is just a representation in your mind. Let go of all representations, all models of the world, and just be with what it's like to be conscious. There's no time, there's no place, there's no distance, there's no self, there's no past, there's no future. For it's all simply been here in this awareness where all of those concepts and representations have been created. There's nothing outside of this mind. And you are now just part of it, observing it, knowing it. You don't have to travel anymore to be anywhere you are now everywhere.
So at this point, I'm going to bring the meditation to a close.